secure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM or Utility Muffins, all one word, on Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, and finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we're joined by... um, a very special guest is kind of like a unique opportunity for us because we we're not really like the interview type guys, right? We just kind of do reviews and we look at books and we move on. But um, today we are joined by Matthew Webb, and um, the way that we got in contact with Matthew Webb um, is kind of like a long, drawn out, ridiculous story involving Twitter and looking things, you know, looking at things online. But anyways, I saw this video about a LARP. And it's a Sabat LARP that takes place in Texas. And um, we have Matthew here to kind of correct anything that we're wrong on. Um, but I'll leap right down your throat. Yeah, cool. Worry. I definitely <laughs> appreciate it. Um, yeah. So we're, we're joined by Matthew. And Matthew, if you could um, tell us and tell the people that listen to our podcast a little bit about who you are, what you do and who you represent. Uh, my name is Matthew Webb. Uh, I work as a LARP designer and creator for Jackalip Live Action Studios here in Texas with my partner Steve Metz and the other members of my team. And we are currently running an officially licensed blockbuster LARP set in Texas that focuses on a blood rave and mass embrace of the Sabbat in a single night. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> we like to think so. Yeah. I, I don't know uh, if you saw the same thing, Bob, but basically there was this video that was posted, I think, by someone in our like fan Discord page, and I was like, what is going on here? What is this? It, it is. It's uh, A lot of them are, were asking us about what it was, and me, me and Nate were like, well, we know what the video you posted, so <laughs> right. we, we need time to look into this. So I can tell you what it's about. Uh, are you guys familiar with some of the other big bespoke style blockbuster games that White Wolf's been putting out? Because there's been Enlightenment in Blood Berlin. There's been the several runs of End of the Line. There's been Convention of Thorns. Have you guys been tracking any of those? Hmm. I would have to say no. I'll be I'll be honest with you. The I did a deep dive into you specifically when we started looking into this uh, uh, looking into this interview. If only. Uh, because you're you're a very skilled and talented individual in what you do, and professionally, not just flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> not just what you do for Jackalope, but that's that's one of the questions that I wanted to ask you actually, if if I can, is for the night in question. Your team is stellar. I mean, they're yeah. rock solid to, to see what they got. I'm going so on. lucky; it's not even funny. How did you guys kind of fall in together? Well, we just I've been running LARPs for years, and I've been running them in Texas for the last four. And I built up a good reputation in that community. I've and people came to me, and 
I started working with White Wolf and some of their partners for uh, on technology stuff because I got my start doing uh, technology and LARPing. And that started a conversation about doing White Wolf events. And eventually it came down to as we saw all the other big time blockbuster White Wolf events that were going on. And we said we wanted to take a stab at it and we wanted to do something interesting and unique in that space. Because what has been going on with White Wolf right now as they've been rebirthing the brand in a lot of ways uh, is they've been green lighting and supporting these very high production, very cool, very contained one shot one shot live action events. And we decided we wanted in on that. And we decided we're gonna do something unique that even they haven't done before. So while you have these games that are going on to give your listeners a little bit of background, they've been doing some really cool things recently in the live action space. They rewrote the Mind's Eye Theater rules, which a lot of you are probably familiar with a few years ago under by night studios, but this newer kind of Nordic style, immersive style art, they started doing official white wolf events inside of it. And they've been doing some cool stuff. And is this, is this the uh, participation for design agency? Yeah. Participation design agency, PDA is one of the ones that's done that along with Zoback, the guys who do college wizardry, both of them have been doing these white wolf events. We're the first completely American studio to do one of these bespoke style events is what they started calling them because Nordic means too many things and isn't specific enough. The specific style we're going for has was coined by PDA to be bespoke because that means something which is, made specifically that you could specifically have control over and is something which is as it seems. So compared to a normal like MET LARP, there's a lot bigger focus on style and production and what you see is what you get and actually like physically doing things and having this 100 360 degree illusion theatrical experience so it's a lot more like immersive theater but with a larp twist on it yeah because i think that for us like we we come from kind of like the classic old school larp scenario and i think a lot of people out there that listen to our podcast might also come from those um but like you know for us we're we're kind of used to like i've got my character sheet i've got all my experience spent and i'm gonna go to game every week or you know every other week or whatever um, so I, I think that like what we saw really seemed quite groundbreaking to us because, uh, like it's, it's not when we, well, at least for me, I don't want to speak for Bob in this, but at least for me, like when I heard about these kind of like white wolf sponsored LARPs, I was always like, ah, it's like so far away. It's like not anything I'll ever get to do. It's just like, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy people that are way more uh, important than me will get to go do those. And like, this was the first one where I was like, if I could muster the cash to go to Texas, which is not like an outlandish scenario, like I would be there because like, you know, Bob and I, if you've ever listened to our podcast, we're, we're kind of Sabat fanboys, like, you know, just a little bit. Sabat fans are there. There's a, they're a third the size, but damn, are they passionate? I mean, <laughs> Sabat fans are 
just massive fans. You either love it or not. There's no in between. I've noticed with the people who are into the Sabat LARPs. And I've done the classic Mind's Eye Theater LARP. I still play in those. I play in one right now. But the bespoke style is not really meant as a replacement for the classic style. It's just a very different focus. There's a much bigger emphasis on, like I said, that 360-degree illusion. There's a lot bigger focus on really straight-to-the-hilt character development and emotional development and just going for collaborating to make this amazing experience together. I've noticed that because in, in the layout, uh, when it talks about the bespoke style and checking out the Nordic LARP uh, where, where that is uh, with your partners, um, I was actually blown away at the fact that this is not something I would play weekly, but this is something that you can do the production exactly what you're doing. That makes perfect sense. And I would like to even see the bespoke style used in more, uh, more Gen Con-esque events. Where if you only have four days, you know, to do whatever you're going to do, how do you get to all of it immediately? And a bespoke style is pretty much collaborative, like you said. If I'm if I'm correct, uh, sort yeah. of school me here. I want to make sure I'm, I got it right. So with the bespoke style, it's not about rules. It's about getting a character that has already tied motivations and things to do with other people that are going to be playing characters pre-created and getting into it. Uh, you well here's here's the one thing I like that was unique that if I'm correct on it it's that if I have like a rivalry with someone and it's on my sheet I could talk to that someone on the side to let them know hey you know I, I have this rivalry out of character but how do you want what's what's your permissions and how we're going to play this out to show everybody not only can you it's what you should do because that's the way to get the best payoff for that relationship if you have a relationship where, just to use a non-vampire uh, example, where it's Marty McFly and Biff. <laughs> um, if you try to do that it, without negotiation, it's actually really hard because you, the player of Marty doesn't know how dangerous Biff actually is. But if Marty McFly and Biff's players sit down ahead of time and say, I'm not really, you know, I'm not going to try and kill you, but I am a complete and utter thug. And they talk about the various scenes they want to set up. You could have, just to keep this metaphor going, Marty McFly and Biff negotiate the entire, with you know his, uh, his father's character, the entire punch him in the, in the face scene. Where they might not negotiate completely what the specifics are, but they can say, I want this to be the pivotal moment where the scene changes. And you get Biff on board with that. Biff gets to be gets to be part of that story and gets to tell his own side of things. But there's this understanding that Biff doesn't win because Biff is an antagonist, but he doesn't win until the end of the he he keeps going until the very end of the quote unquote movie. A very similar thing happens to bespoke games where you turn around and you say, okay, you and I have this rivalry. How can we mine that vein? for interesting things. And sometimes it's like, I'm going to specifically do this at a specific time. Sometimes it doesn't work out so well, or this is going to be our general toolbox for interactions. And we're going to get to know each other so we can get the signals from each other when we're going to finally have, you know, the shouting match scene, or we're going to have the, I finally get a revenge on you scene. And we can start steering ourselves in the right direction. So this idea that you're trying to create something intense at, with a really good payoff 
really quickly is great. And that pre-planning, even though it never comes out as planned because you are playing with 100, 200 different people, it sets this baseline for what you see your role as the characters and together are. Right. So like it, it, it gives you a perspective, a, a better perspective on your place in the story, it seems like. Yeah. And there's nothing that keeps that technique from being used even in traditional Minds Eye Theater games. And in fact, when I play Minds Eye Theater, it's called what you're specifically referring to is called the friendly enemies rule, wherein I will sit down with people when my character, who often is an antagonist, is inclined to go into a some sort of conflict with that character and I'm going to I will sit down and I say I will say would this be fun for you and how would it be right I've sat down with people where I was playing a character who would totally start gunning for their position in a vampire game and I have sat there and I've said listen my character would do this I'm telling you that he would totally take that step right now but would that be fun for you? And how would that work? How's the best way for this to work out? That's, that's, that's very interesting. Cause I feel like that for a lot of LARPers, especially like long-term LARPers, that's, that's like a fundamental, just like a fundamentally different way of playing the game that a lot of them probably wouldn't be very used to. Um, and I think I don't, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it you're, you're there for fun, right? You're there not just for your own, kind of like ego gratification but you're there to have fun with all these people and i think that that's like a super mature way of of approaching things well a phrase that i actually make people repeat before my games is people are more important than larps and it seems so simple yet when you get caught up in a character and you get caught up in the power struggles and you haven't managed this and you haven't had that oc communication and that kind of perspective grounding and negotiation, it can get really personal really quickly. You can feel personally attacked. There's stuff like that going on all the time. Yeah. And that's a that's a thing that I actually enjoy uh, about reading about not only the bespoke style, uh, but something very interesting to me. Just to segue real quick. Um, it's said that you work with uh, international military and government entities uh, for live training exercises. I was wondering what you could tell us about that experience and how it's helped you with the Jackal art period. Uh, I can't talk really extensively about that other than to say that I've worked with um, a company. I work for a company that does training exercises and training simulations, and I've worked on software that coordinates and enriches those environments. Uh, so what I learned about that is that the military has been LARPing longer than all of us. They just will never call it that. (laughs) (laughs) And amusingly, I've had my LARP experience and LARP writing experience has been critical in establishing a rapport with these officers that run training centers and stuff because their problems, because I've run both like field boffer games and mind's eye theater games and parlor games. And of course these blockbuster games, Their problems and our problems are pretty much the same problems. Somebody isn't there when they should be. Things are running late. People haven't gotten the right clues to go to the right place. The rules are slightly different. Like, you can't screw up. They won't allow you 
to miss a critical clue in a military exercise. They'll just write up that you missed it and then right. kind of like point at the CD you didn't see and, and like cough at you and tell you to take it because they're not going to hold up like a flight of helicopters and all this other stuff that they were planning to train out just because one grunt missed a plot point. But they have all the same problems and they just have different language for it. It's been very interesting seeing those two worlds interact and seeing as I've taken what I've learned there into the LARP world and what I've learned in LARP into that world, uh, because it's a very similar kind of discipline, even though the stakes and the scale and the intent are very different. Because a military exercise is intent on training people in such a way that literally saves lives while we're doing this for entertainment. So the rules are of engagement are, are different in many ways. The payoff's but a bigger scale. Yeah. The payoff is bigger and, you know, no one's renting out like nothing. Okay. Maybe I'll get to this point in, in LARP one day, but a squadron of C-130 is being fueled was never on the line for whether or not an exercise, <laughs> uh, <laughs> whether or not my LARP kicked off or not. Right. <laughs> So um, let, let, let's just like, let's refocus here because I want to know more about the night in question. I want to know more about what it is because like, that's like the big thing that stuck out to me. And we'll ask you some more questions about like Jackalope and, um, but I just want to know like, what is the night in question? What are, what, what themes are you trying to go for? You know, what can players expect? And like, obviously most importantly, how can people get out there and like get in contact with you and this game? So to get in contact with us, we're Jackalope LARP on Twitter. We're Jackalope-LARP.com online. And we're Jackalope Live Action Studios on Facebook. So if you're interested in the event, go there. Tickets are still available. There's about 50 left at this point out of 200. The idea behind the night in question was these other events that White Wolf has done have either focused on human vampires like very humane vampires in an illegal nightclub or on the medieval elders because one of the games uh convention of thorns is actually played in a castle in poland yeah yeah I, I've uh, seen, I, fantastic yeah. but it's set in literally 1493 and we've had the very camaria kind of anarch characters in there and we looked around and we said okay who hasn't come to the table yet? Everybody's favorite monsters. Let's do Sabat. Right. And everyone was like, whoa, whoa. We just got done with Enlightenment and Blood, where literally you had people like Anarchs were taking down the sheriff in the middle of the dance floor in a club in East Berlin. You had buckets of blood and all that kind of stuff in certain scenes. You had like Geta Fenris and Changelings literally wrestling on the floor of this one punk bar. That was already really intense. You want to do the Sabbat? And we said, oh, yes. <laughs> we got together and we said, let's do this. We put together a proposal. We had some meetings with White Wolf. They were initially hesitant. But we brought them what our ideas were. We brought with them the fact that we were partnering with PDA in order to do it. We had been at these events. We know how they work. We've done events like we've done another event called A War of Our Own, which is actually based on the video game, This War of Mine, which is about civilians in a war zone. Yeah. And that yeah, was, was actually a charity event run for War Child. I was seeing that on your on your website. I'm very proud of that event. We got uh, over $1,000 for 
refugee uh, children. And that was not intended to be a fun game. That was Humvees and mass graves and actual blank firing from snipers and all sorts of fun stuff. But that was meant to be a, a very nasty experience. But we pulled it off. A lot of people were very proud of having participated and made a lot of money. So we took all that stuff or made a lot of money for the charity. So we took all that stuff together and said, listen, we can do this. We can do intense content that transgresses the normal lines of what we see out of a vampire LARP. You've already been doing it elsewhere. We can take it to another level and we can take it into this very visceral, dark part of the world of darkness. And we have the tools and the capability of doing so. And they looked at what we had to say. They looked at the site and they said, okay, let's do it 100%. Let's make it amazing. We turned around and we have people who were in, who are professional haunt makeup artists. We have prop makers who have been involved in other horror style games. We have a bunch of people that worked in haunted houses like Scare for a Cure here in Austin, which is a great charity, haunted house that operates every year. All these things we put together and we said, we can do a classic Sabbat and we can do a kind of Sabbat you never really get to see in LARP because of the stagecraft that's required to do it. And that's when we said that we're just going to do a freaking blood rave full on <laughs> mass embrace right out of the old Ken Meyer Jr. illustrations from the player's guide where you have people hanging from meat hooks and buckets of blood and just gore. And we're just going to make it so that the night starts off where it's just this illegal rave outside of Austin. No one's the wiser. And a few hours in things are start going very wrong because it turned out the entire thing was a trap. The entire thing was a setup in order to get a bunch of mortals where no one is going to miss them for a while. And embrace most of them eat the rest and go to war because it turns out that the sabbat are in the last stage of a siege that they've been planning for a year on austin texas and this is the penultimate move is to do a mass embrace and blood feast right before uh laying siege to the city that's uh, that what I saw on on the video, and I've already kind of like said this a little bit, but what I saw, I was like, I, n nobody even runs like a normal game like this. <laughs> and I was just like, whatever this is, I one one term stuck out to me, and that was splatterpunk. <laughs> I'm very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I, I I felt right away. I was like, well, this this is going to be. Um, you know, something that I really want to, like, I want to be involved in it. You know, I didn't really care how I was involved in it, but, um, for, for Bob and I, like, um, I've always advocated for the Sabbat. Like I, I definitely enjoy the, the sort of like the dark romantic kind of political maneuvering of like a standard vampire, the masquerade game. However, I've always considered myself a sort of antagonistic person. And I've identified with the Sabbat in a lot of ways. And I understand why for a lot of people, it's just kind of like, it's a taboo, right? They don't want to touch it. They don't want to be a part of it. It's just like 
the bad guys the doing bad guys. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, for me, I've always viewed them differently. So, you know, I, I was curious, like, why um, you guys chose to do Sabat, but, you know, you've kind of uh, broken that down in your explanation. But, um, you know, is that is that something that, um, like, you've identified with, or is it just like, no one's done it, so we want to try this? I've been playing the Sabat Two years into my Mind's Eye Theater LARPing career, I started playing Sabat, and I have always loved playing Sabat. There was a fantastic Sabat-only game that I played in for three or four years here in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which I lived outside of for a while, and... Sabat has always been a great game to me. I think it's very misunderstood, and I think it's harder to run than yeah. a cam game. You can the margin for error on a cam a cam and art game is much lower or much higher. You can still pretty much achieve what you're going to achieve without having everybody on the same space, the same page. In Sabat, you have to have a very precise understanding of how their dynamic works because it's so very different than most other vampire right yeah have you found it uh that the sabat in terms of the portrayal of them do you think that it's easier in a hierarchical sense than it for people to get than it would be for the camera side i think the camera is very easy to get because it's based on a very simple political structure wherein i have this family unit this person is the head of the family and then there's some authority above them. And there's a simple set of seven rules that you're supposed to follow. And it's a very much a power hierarchy. That's a very easy mentality to get into. And there's a lot of history to draw off of there. You can just say, Oh, these guys are like the Borgias or these guys are like the kind of politics that we see going on every day. The Sabbat, are a kind of politics that most middle-class Americans aren't familiar with, which is gang politics or tribal politics, wherein we have these packs and groups which are nominally held together by a shared belief, but because of their dedication to freedom, the power structure is far looser. And they're much more alien in nature than a Camarilla vampire. You cannot have a good Sabat vampire just by taking some guy off the street and putting fangs on him. A Sabat vampire is a different creature because they embrace their nature usually. Or those who don't at least are faced with the fact that they're surrounded by monstrosity. Now that's a profound insight because uh, one of the things that I ran into in a Sabat game is the they, people just don't stress on the titles in terms of like Archbishop or Bishop. Like they're mentioned, and it has sort of a very much a dark uh, Christian-based hierarchy in that regard. And a lot of times it's overlooked because of the pack they're in or the Templars they have, and that, and that goes down. And I found a similarity between them and the Camarilla in that regard. Because even though it's a power family in a Camarilla, nine times out of ten, it's the coteries that run around that are getting stuff done, but don't want to call themselves packs. Right. It is a kind of natural human hierarchy, but people understand the prince is in charge. 
But in the Sabbat, the Sabbat cannot be led. It can only be guided. It is self-organizing chaos. <laughs> I do like that because the guidance positions are very spiritual. And that's what I enjoy about the Sabbat more than anything. Uh, the fact that your archbishop, if you go to them, is not you're going to the guy in charge. It's somebody you're going to for whatever guidance you need. It's usually a question to be put to them of morality. It's a question of uh, something happened. Can you go after it? You know, is there something with that? Or just telling them no when they ask you to do something. There's a freedom to that, and I agree with you uh, a lot in that regard. I enjoy that description <laughs> about the chaos. It's very true. And there's something to be emphasized about the Sabata's anti-heroes because they are so very honest about what they are. And they have a strange sort of nobility to them. They do not defy their nature, nor do they lie about it. Which, uh, see, because there's something about the bespoke style that I'm really, I want to see, you know, how the night in question goes. I know it's going to be fantastic. First off, I want to state that. But my yeah. curiosity is to that connection, right? Can a normal nine to five everyday person truly embrace the fact that they are someone that is very comfortable with killing? Not in the regard of a feeding whoops or the romanticized sense, but in the sense that that's who you are as a killer. And that's that's why what you when you're talking about people hanging from hooks and the buckets of blood, I almost want to be a fly on a wall just to see the initial reaction. Yeah, I don't I don't almost want to be. I I literally want to be like a fly on the wall. You know, like I, the, it's something that, like seeing it. Like I certainly wanted to play it and experience it, but you know, it's just it's a little bit outside of our range to to you know plan for. But there's always the next one for us. But definitely, like just as a like a case study, like I definitely would want to see like what people's reactions are to being you know actually shown that level of horror right to their face right like we've we've always played in larps where you're in a you're in like a, a ballroom or you're in like a uh you know a banquet hall and uh, all right there's things over here you know people are visually describing them um you know but they're, the they're not mind, right exactly sort of uh, but, you know, we've never been like, all right, welcome to the haunted house. Let your LARP begin. So, <laughs> you know, th that and that's to me. something new. That's something new to at least the North American market. There have been some Sabat games that were played in Poland and Finland that kind of went this far that were very much more in that Nordic style. Mm -hmm. But. We're introducing the idea that, no, we're going to make this terrible. We're going to have special effects of ripping out someone's intestines. It's going to be some haunted house level stuff. And it's going to be interesting. We're cheating a little bit, though, <laughs> because the Sabat vampires who start out Sabat at the beginning of the night are a smaller group of players. Most of them are more veteran and most of them know what they're getting into. and they're the kind of people who have, you know, spent the energy to really, really get into this stuff. However, a majority of the characters are going to be embraced that night, which means if they react with horror to what they're seeing, that is perfectly fine. Yeah, I, I noticed that too when you're in the, the like the design of the setting and like you know what some of the the packages that you could get were. That there were a lot of like, you know, you could possibly get a vampire character, but it seemed like by and large, 
there were a lot of mortals that were going to end up being like the primary characters for this game. And, um, I, I was like, Oh, I wonder what that's about. I was going to actually ask you about that, but now it completely makes sense. Right. The mortals will outnumber the vampires at the beginning of the night, three or four to one. That's uh, yeah. That's I, I look, I, all I can say is I'm glad that things like this are happening in the U S because, um, you know, I've, I've played a couple, uh, like one shot LARPs, which are, are, are very similar to the style that you're talking about. I don't think they're quite on the level of what you're referring to. Um, but I, something like this, it seems very much like it can exist as an event, right? But I think that something like this would be very difficult to sustain over a long term. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Do you think like this is something that if pressed could be like a, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple times a year, or is it just like logistically too improbable to be able to do this long term? Are you talking about like as a campaign or right, as repeating right. the same events right. several times? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I guess both. As a campaign, uh, the night in question is kind of designed to be a ship in the bottle because it has this laser focus because the Sabbat don't do this stuff every night. They don't do this stuff every year, except for maybe Apollo Grand. So to have this be a recurring campaign, I think would take some of the energy out of it. Wherein you have these characters who have every justification for going straight to the hilt, because this is the night they do this. This is the night where they really indulge their natures. Okay. So do you think that like, this is a, the type of event that you guys will do more often or perhaps in like different geographic locations other than just like where you're currently at or, um... Oh, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. And, uh, all over the country, I'd love to do it in Los Angeles. I'd love to find a place in New York or, you know, Detroit. I'd love to do it in Detroit if I could do it correctly. One of the more interesting things I discovered running this game in Texas is that the Central and South American Vampire the Masquerade scene is much bigger than I had imagined. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. we found that out, too, uh, with the podcast. We, yeah, we have at least three or four players that are coming from Mexico to play. And one or two from Brazil and a couple more from Argentina. And they are putting us to shame with how much they love this game. And... I'd love to do Paula Grande in Mexico City oh, in a similar style. That would be so wonderful. I'd, I'd make a way. <laughs> if that happened, it, I'd find a way. I know, right? If I could find a place that was nice and safe and figure out what the laws were, I would go to Mexico and I would do Mexico City and I would do Paula Grande in Mexico. And from everything I've seen, the Mexican Vampire the Masquerade scene is fantastic. Um, it probably helps that uh, traditional uh, Mexican fashion and goth fashion are basically the same, just one has more colors. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's the like Hispanic community just loves, uh, and the uh, Latino community just loves this freaking setting. And I've just been shamed by how much like support and love has been coming out of that that part of the world. Um, I'd love to go and do it in Poland. I would love to do it elsewhere. Uh, but you have to walk before you can run. And this is going to be 
our first World of Darkness event. So, yeah. Um, well, that that brings me to another question that I had. Um, you you had mentioned that you know you talked to White Wolf. Like, obviously, we one of the things that stuck out to us, to me and to Bob was that, um, you know, this is, this is like authorized, like with the seal of approval by white wolf, you know, it's got like the white wolf stamp, like, you know, this is, you know, for, for us, like, and it might just include some hints about V5 stuff somewhere. <laughs> in there it. you go. So the, the question for yeah. me was, how did you even like get in contact with them? Like, how did, how did you end up like, obviously we can all run our own LARPs and all that fun stuff, but like, how did your group, your organization end up like getting in contact with them to like get the official white wolf seal of approval? So we kicked down the door of Martin Erickson's apartment and dragged him out in a sack. Um, no, um, <laughs> we started, Working with Participation Design Agency, when we met them at a conference here in Austin called Living Games, and we started discussing how we were going to do Enlightenment in Blood Berlin. And they had seen the presentations I had made on technology and LARP and some of my other work. And we ended up, uh, it was kind of, it's kind of a funny story. The conference was in Austin, Texas, and for whatever reason, the organizers of the conference decided that they weren't going to do Texas things because I don't know why they decided they weren't going to do that. So because I'm from Austin and I was born and raised here and I'm a very loud kind of Texas guy, I started getting approached and it eventually became a thing where Matt became kind of the local guide. and. I was the one who took them to the country Western store and got all the Swedes and the Nords and all that, show them how to properly fit a cowboy hat. And I told <laughs> the owner of the country Western store and he gave them all free belt buckles just for being for, for being from Sweden. Uh, I took them out shooting. Uh, it, it became this thing. And I, we were, you know, we we're all talking LARP and uh, White Wolf did their did a keynote there. Uh, Martin did, Martin Erickson. And eventually the conference ends and we're all supposed to go to this Italian dinner. And I think all the like Nords and stuff thought to themselves, I can go to Italy for Italian. <laughs> so I'm standing there in the lobby and I see uh, the Nords <laughs> making a beeline through the crowd towards me. <laughs> and I'm like, with like, there's like a line of like seven of them. <laughs> And I look and I go, uh, it was Johannes Oxner <laughs> who runs org, And he looks at me and goes, we want steak. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, okay, I got you, fam. <laughs> so I end up stealing uh, Martin Erickson, a few uh, 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 Johanna and Bjarke from uh, uh Participation Design Agency, Johannes Oxner, uh, all these guys, I, I end up stealing them and taking them to a steakhouse, uh, a steakhouse and oyster shack, I know, called uh, Freda's. And we end up like sitting there for three or four hours just talking about games, talking about the world of darkness, talking about plans. Uh, we were trying to figure out rides in the in the uh, in the parking lot and. I had my pickup with me and Martin Erickson basically says, I want to ride in the pickup truck. So, 
So I was so in this weird kind of this is how networking works kind of way. Right. I was the official Texan, so I got to meet these guys and girls. And I we just started talking and I started having a business relationship with PDA. And since they were dealing with White Wolf, that obviously led to me and talking to the White Wolf guys. And I went to Enlighten Him in Blood Berlin at World of Darkness Berlin. And I helped run that. I met a lot of people that way. I got to threaten Shane DeVries' life. That was always fun. <laughs> and I got to have a few drinks with Justin Achille. I got to uh, permission from from Mark Ryan Hagen to tell him about my character. And he said that officially my prince had a good line, which that was good. Uh, the line being, you made the mistake of coming to my attention. Um, he, so I got to hang out with these guys, went to a dance club at the end of it. It was really great. Um, so after establishing uh, that relationship, we started talking and eventually they said okay you obviously know this stuff works you've been at several of these events because i went to end of the line i went to enlightenment of blood um you've run one successfully with the the war of our own let's do this so that's how that conversation started is that it's kind of a weird winding path but that's sometimes how it works in uh these businesses is that you just start conversations with people and you, you become a, a face that they know that they, they know that they can trust and that eventually paid off. So basically what you're saying is get out there and network. <laughs> <laughs> well, get out there and network, yeah. but also follow up right. and show that you have the chops and show that you have the professionalism because what in gaming, especially non-computer gaming is often missing is you can either have the passion or the professionalism, but it's rare to have both. Yeah. yeah. And if you're the kind of person who's both professional and ethical while also being passionate and talented, you can go a long way because people who are looking at this as a business acknowledge how rare that is. And acknowledge that you have to, it, when they encounter this person who just wants to do cool things, but also wants to make enough money to make it sustainable. Right. And make it cool and has pride in their work. When they encounter that person, that really gets people's attention. So if you prove that to people, and this goes for any business really. I tell this to all sorts of people looking to get into the LARP or looking into gaming is that passion is easy in geek businesses, right? Passion and like, you know, being a good GM or whatever. That's okay. Yeah. That's, that's not entirely common, but it's not rare. What's really rare is getting that with also somebody who can say, yeah, but how do you make money at that? Right. Right. Without feeling like they're a sellout, you're the kind of person who says this has in order to do what you're going to do, it has to have enough of an audience and have enough interest in order to sustain itself or else it's just going to fall apart. 
Yeah, we we uh, we get a little bit of an indicator every week about that. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to run a podcast, uh, obviously at a much smaller scale than what you're doing. Um, you know, that's that's like a constant struggle for us. You know, like constantly trying to you know provide a better product and also provide a product that like eventually we can do full time to continue to make a better product. So, yeah, I mean that's something that we learn we're, we're constantly learning. So, I mean, it's cool to hear, you know, the experiences that you've had, um, for us. And I think that for people that listen to our podcast, it's going to be even more interesting to hear like how that, cause you know, I mean, what's, what's the real dream, right? You take your hobby and you turn it into something that you can do professionally that you actually can like make a living doing. And I think to hear kind of like some of the steps that you've gone through, but also like the integrity that you have for what you're doing, um, I think that's really awesome. Uh, I think that that's, Thank you. That, that's why a lot of like the kind of like LARP situation, like there's a difference between people who view it as just like, ah, oh, it's a thing I do once a month to go for a hobby. And then like people who go, well, I, I have such a passion for this. Like, why can't I turn this into something that I do on a professional scale? So it's cool to hear. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna delude anybody. I am nowhere close to doing this full time professionally. Right. They are they are few and far between professional LARP designers. However, I can create a company that has enough flexibility and has the funds to make cool stuff that I'm proud of. I'm not making bank on <laughs> the night in question. I'm not trying to. What I'm trying to do is make enough to make it worth worthwhile, and also have enough going into it that we can pay our prop makers and pay our writers and pay those people in a manner. Cause I think I calculated how much, and this is if I just flat out cash the check and don't put it into another game, which I know is going to happen is I'd maybe make three to $5 an hour. Right. Right. But I still, I run a game. I, I, I get a lot out of it, you know, and you know, I, I might get a couple hundred bucks at, yeah. at the end of eight, 10, 12 months worth of work. And you're, you're also able to express a level of creativity that really doesn't have like another way to be expressed. You know, yes. it's like, like talking about game books. <laughs> it's like, like, you know, Bob and I, we, we talk about them every week. There's not too many other venues for that you know it's just like it's a super niche sort of of hobby but it's like something that we're passionate about and i can see the same thing like uh you know when i was in my late teens i worked for a haunted house and like i never got paid to do it but i was just like i was so interested and so passionate about being able to like scare people for fun you know it was like what other venue do you have that you could do that well you know your venue here is kind of like another one of those uh one of, another one of those paths Oh yeah, and I'm having a great time. It's it's been very fun and it's been very weird in a good way <laughs> to sit down and like talk with Justin Achille. And I remember saying uh, saying to myself, I'm taught you had to pause cuz I was in this old movie theater in Berlin waiting for the World of Darkness documentary to start having drinks in the bar in the back and I'm sitting here and I'm just talking with Justin Achille about game design. And part of me, the little 18 year old me in the back of my head is going, is going, 
I'm talking to fucking Justin Achille. How'd this happen? Right. <laughs> Dude, at least you're- I read this guy's books. <laughs> you they heard they the literally video. changed my life, you know? What was that, Bob? Mm-hmm. No, I was saying that he was, at least Matthew, you were in the, you were in the venue. We got to talk to him in a very, uh, very unique community college LARP ran paid to fly him out event. And I, I felt bad for the guy. Cause I was like, you know, there's gotta be something we could take him to, to entertain him. You know, it wasn't us who ran it though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was very, very long time ago. It was just, uh, you know, they, they used to just like send white wolf people to like LARPs. If you were like, Hey, come to our LARP. Yeah. But it was very different. That conversation with Justin was very different because I wasn't talking to him as a fan. I was talking to him as someone who was part of that same ecosystem. And it's very interesting how the conversation changes once you're in that world, right? It's it's very much a mental shift. And that's the other thing is they're looking for people who can jump that that hurdle into you're no longer a fan. You're a, a partner. Right. That's an interesting, it's an interesting viewpoint uh, because how does one decide that if you're not a fan of your work, you know what I mean? Like that's like making a distinction that, you know, okay, it's, it's just a business, you know, you can have pride in your business. You can, and you should, you should always be a brand ambassador of what you do. Absolutely. And that's a nonstop thing. But in something like this, there's, there's love in it. There's passion in it for a lot of people and uh, for, for those who do it, especially. And so for me, it's, it's an interesting insight. Uh, it's it's the difference that maybe the love you have for a high school crush or for your boyfriend or girlfriend or so and the love that a parent has for a child i think is probably the best thing because there's still passion there <laughs> right. but right. it becomes less i love what this thing does for me and what it is to me versus I love this and I want it to grow and I want it to develop and I want it to become something. Right. Exactly. And and I try to even people who are fans, I try to get them on that board, especially when they're facing change, wherein when you have the second mentality, you can criticize changes, but you don't criticize them from the standpoint of what I want out of the game. You have to look at it and say, what are we doing here with this thing to make it healthy and growing? And that's why I've been so positive on V5, because I see exactly what they're doing and I see what they're bringing to the table and why they're changing the things they are and why they're kind of resetting back to like the basic form of the game because it needs it. And if some of the things I really like, such as the Sabbat, aren't in V5's initial offering. Well, they weren't in like the initial release of the game either. Uh, it kind of right. makes sense from that perspective. Well, they're mentioned much like in the original uh, game, but they're not outlined as playable. Right. And that, um, obviously, I'm a Sabbat fan. But I'm willing to say, listen, they are com- bringing it back to basics and they are making it approachable and making it cool and the this fantastic layout and this very unique look they're giving. Like people are saying, what happened to the classic kind of framed covers? And I'm like, they're looking for because everyone does that now. Right. 
everyone does what White Wolf did, which is have the framed cover with the logo on the top and like the color scheme with this like full cover photo look and this very fashion goth fashion look. They're making something that people will take off the table and take off the shelf and look at it because it looks different. And I think people have to remember that that's one of the things that got White Wolf where it was, is they looked different. They looked dangerous. They looked like something that wasn't like anything else on the shelf. And they've figured that out and they figured out how to do that again, which is why a lot of the stuff that people have criticized about V5, I look at them and say, no, this is brilliant from my perspective. And I think it's going to be wonderful. And everything I've read coming out of it, it's going to be a great shakeup to the world while also making it much more playable uh, by new people, which is what we need. Right. I think a, a lot of people don't look at the fact that, you know, what they're playing is, is old, you know, it's uh, despite what they're, despite, you know, the generations that have played through, you know, re, you know, first all the way up to revise. And then, you know, uh, later on for those who jumped the Requiem, Requiem's still good in the new world of darkness. And that's all fantastic. But a uh, company's health goes on if they're able to get new. You know, it's getting it's getting bigger and hitting more um, more points to bring back what you love, what they love, in a different light. And I agree with that 100. percent Which is why I'm excited about V5 is that you just don't know what changes are going to be there to keep you hooked, right? Or to teach you a different way uh, to fall in love all over again with the product that had your loyalty. Yeah. And there's a level of trust you need to give them that they're going to do that. So I'm I'm excited about it. You Everything know, new they produce, I'm I'm all about it. I I agree with Bob because I think like at the end of the day, like you know, we're we're podcasters, you you run a LARP group, you know, like these are we're essentially even though we don't work for the company, right? We're still sort of brand ambassadors in a lot of ways. Like, you know, these are things that we're passionate about, but it's like you said, you know, we, we get to, we get to interact with a lot of fans on a, on a uniquely different perspective than we would have two years ago. And we hear those things and we go, you know, Hey, just give it a chance, right? Give it an opportunity to really, you know, stop being critical of something before it's even given to you, <laughs> you know? Right. Because you're killing it. Right. That's right. the thing. I've actually, I, I'm involved with the Mind's Eye Society and when a lot of stuff started going down and stuff, I, I did a live cast where I said, guys, you're killing what you love. You're being way too critical. Right. You're being frankly fucking mean. It, it's like, uh, I just wanted to post a thousand times that gift from Garth from Wayne's world. We fear change. <laughs> and I understand the urge to not have what you love to do taken away from you, but I don't think that's what's going on here, but there's this huge fear of that. Right. And that's not going to happen. They're right. getting more back to the way that what brought most people into vampire in the first place. And yeah, if the tall Mera aren't in there, good. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> right. You know, uh, your, if your pet bloodline or clan or whatever isn't in the initial offering, I'm just saying to them, it's just like, that's fine. Right. Just, that's not the only reason to be there. Right. You know, I, I think it's, you know, we found that out there uh, doing kind of like what we do, there's a really rich community of people who they do this for the same reason you do what you do and we do what we do. And that's because we have a passion for the game. And, you know, we try to go out of our way to both curtail 
and also avoid a lot of those like pitfalls because like we're we're not here, you know, as podcasters or LARPers or, or whatever to like take a crap on, on any of this material. We're here because this is material that has enriched us throughout the years and we want that to enrich other people as well. We want people to share in what we love. And I think that um, like something that you do is a prime example of like, Hey, we want new people to come to the community. We want them to experience the things that we've experienced. We want them to know, like we're, we're, we're taking the journey with them. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of like the size Sperling of vampires. Like, you know, not only are we, uh, members, but we're also clients, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, a, I'm the same way. I, I run vampire games. I've, I help run all sorts of LARPs and, I just don't like anyone treating the brand like owners and creators like they're the enemy Mm -hmm. when they're the ones who spend every day and every night figuring out how to make this experience as good for as many people as possible. Right. And we don't want to become that community, which is so critical and so spiky that everyone ignores us, including the people who create things for us. Right. We don't want to create, become that community the same way some parts of like the Star Wars community have become that way, where no one listens to them because they are so just set in their ways and they have such a a, a small tent right. that it really doesn't gain anyone anything to listen to them. And that's not I want the conversation between the World of Darkness fandom and White Wolf and Onyx Path and By Night Studios to go because that doesn't do anyone any good. And I think that we can just be positive and assume that people are trying their best and know what they're doing. They'll admit when they made mistakes. I got official permission to make fun of Dirty Secrets of the Black Hand (laughs) (laughs) because they know that was a mistake. But it didn't destroy the game. They had to nuke something, literally, but it didn't destroy the game. <laughs> which which makes perfect sense. I mean, that's and that's an example of a change that, because I could tell you, there was a lot of people who, who we talked to, not just locally, but would say, like, I don't know why they did it. I don't understand. They were looking for an in-game writing reason. And I was like, that's pretty much a decision out of game, my friend. That's uh, <laughs> You got to look at the reality of the situation. It's not, they were getting away from what they were or where the vision you could see was supposed to be sustainable. And that was something I found very, not only very uh, enlightening to people, but when you said that and they looked at it again and then saw that that drastic change to quote unquote canon, um, that's when I was like, cool. It's like the other, the other effect is the fact they very easily say it's your game. They already made the book. If you want to keep them, keep them. Yeah, I was joking with Matthew Dawkins at one point, just like, well, when are we going to dis- the deploy the squads of uh the the squads of Space Marines to go in and steal and burn everybody's V20 books as part of the great like V5, you know, massacre. That's not happening. You know, you're going to be able to go on drive through RPG and buy those books all day right, long. Right. And it's kind of like Chronicles of Darkness, just because they're rebooting V5. Chronicles of Darkness still be there. It's yep. no longer the New World of Darkness because, you know, people say, why did they change the name? It's like because of branding. Um, because they want Chronicles of Darkness to continue without hurting the main brand that has the much wider recognition and not to be as confusing to new players. So that's why they changed the name. So 
they're obviously looking to make it so that nobody gets completely burnt, but there needs to be some acknowledgement that we need new blood. We need to get into the position that uh, Wizards of the Coast is in, where they are going through this massive resurgence yeah, um, because they made yeah. something approachable. Yeah, I think that uh, it's a very exciting time to be a fan and to be a long-term fan and to see this kind of resurgence, at least like to see White Wolf as a company, you know, be in existence again and, and you know, to see people that are passionate about it. I mean, I think it's, it's part of the people reason. Bringing people new ideas yeah. is so good. Yeah, I, I think it's part of the reason why Bob and I, you know, we were able to do a podcast and talk about books because like there are people who are like, hey, wait a minute, I do give a shit about that. So I, I'm I'm very excited for whatever's uh, you know on the horizon here, both and book and people game-wise. love this. They love it so much. I mean, just look at the uh, if you don't mind me mentioning the podcast, just look at the success of James Davy in the Dark Archive. That is just such a fantastic piece of fan fiction, and it has gotten he's making two hundred dollars on pay, a month on Patreon just by doing the World of Darkness historical view. I mean, that says something, doesn't it? Yeah. About the passion and the love that people have for it. I think it's a very awesome time for all of us creators and like sort of uh, satellite, you know, contributors or, you know, even with like the Storyteller's Vault, like it gives you a player who's like, you know what? I don't like this or this is missing and this needs to be a thing. Like, awesome. Great. Now you have that opportunity. So I just think it's a really cool time to be a fan of this game. And, you know, putting on the the parental hat for a moment, Storyteller's Vault allows us to kind of grow and identify a new generation of writers. Well, I don't I don't want to keep you too long. Did you have any other questions, Bob? Anything else uh, you wanted to mention or um, ask? Right back to actually the actual game, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I was I was good. I mean, but if you have anything uh, you want to finish out with, uh, Matt, feel free. So the night in question, like we talked about, is going in a kind of going back to basic sort of idea is a reclamation of the splatterpunk style in Sabat. And we've got some great articles on our website. If you go to uh, the night in question section of jackalope-larp.com, where we talk about all the changes that the Sabbat have gone through and where we're planting our flag. And we're planting our flag in the 1998 sort of era where the Sabbat are still the antagonists, but they're more complicated than that. They're anti-heroes. They are people who revel in their nature, but not pointlessly. They have a point to what they're doing. It's going to be very interesting to say take a mind, take a LARP style World of Darkness game, and bring the horror element straight out. The funny thing is, splatterpunk is an actual term that I discovered, which it literally means that style of horror which eschews subtlety and implication in favor of shoving your face in it. The like er example would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. or The Devil's Rejects would be another good example. And it'll be very interesting to take the very subtle world of Vampire the Masquerade and put show the thing that's on the other side of the coin. Why are the Camarilla and so many vampires obsessed with maintaining their humanity? It's because this other thing is at the other edge. 
sounds like a, a lot of fun. So, um, well, I, I would like you to let us know, you know, how everything turns out. And, you know, if you uh, ever, you know, if you're interested on, you know, come back on the podcast at a later time and telling us how things uh, worked out and how the game went, like, I, I would be happy to have you. I'm sure Bob would be, too. And this will not be our last World of Darkness event. Definitely. That's awesome. I have some other plans. I want to do Maze the Ascension. I just need to figure out how. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, there's a bar in town, which actually used to be an old speakeasy. And I really want to run like 1930s Maze the Ascension. Yeah, we've been we've been trying to figure out how to do it for, you know, 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the bespoke style actually opens up a lot of possibilities because if you have a whole bunch of participation and negotiation, you can get things like that happening much more easily where you can have the powers are just a little bit looser because it's not a competitive conflict-based game. You can have, okay, that seems reasonable to me is a perfectly valid mechanic in a bespoke style game. So you can take that and you can probably do a mage thing much more easily than you could with the old laws of Ascension. And like I said, it's going to be November 17th uh, this year, and there's still tickets available, and you can get them at jacklope-larp.com. Cool. Matthew, Fantastic. thank you very much for uh, for joining us and telling us about this and sharing this with uh, the people that listen to our podcast. Thank you. It's been great talking with you guys, and good luck. Thank you. Same to you. Wish you great success, my friend. All righty. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And, and I'm Matt Webb from Jackalope Studios. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon.